0: In his book, Don't Waste Your Life, John Piper contrasts two stories. The first one is of Ruby Eliasson and Laura Edwards. Both these ladies died tragically in April of 2000. Ruby was over 80 years old. She was single all of her life. She had one aim, one goal, one dream in life. And that was to reach the unreached, the poor, the sick with the good news of Jesus Christ. Laura was a widow. She was a medical doctor. She was almost 80 herself, and she came along Ruby's side to work with her in Cameroon. They were traveling in their car one day when the brakes failed, and they went over a cliff. They both died instantly. Two lives driven by one passion to spend their life in service to Jesus. Two decades after most people have retired and are living a life enjoying the fruit of their labor the other story comes from Reader's Digest February 1998 and it tells the story of two um, people a couple who took early retirement and moved to Florida from the northeast he was 59 she was 51 it went on to say that they cruise on their 30-foot trawler they play softball And they collect their shells the article was saying that they are living the American dream and after all that's kind of what the American dream isn't it is isn't it you work hard and you save enough so that one day you can sit back and enjoy the fruit of your labor it may be walking on a beach it may be hiking in the mountains it may be hunting and fishing it may simply be sitting on your porch but we think that we work hard so that one day we can enjoy how hard we've worked. But is that really the dream that God wants us to dream? Or does God have something bigger, something better that he wants us to do with our life and with our resources? This morning we're beginning a a new series that I believe can honestly change your life and change the life of your church. We're calling it Beyond because we want you to go beyond anything you've ever done before. And I want to say again Beyond is not about building a balcony. And Beyond is not even about paying off our debt. And Beyond is not even about starting campuses and planning churches and sending missionaries to unreached, unengaged people groups. This week, as I was sitting in my office, I believed that God spoke to me as clearly as God has ever spoken to me. And I don't know about you, but, but God speaks to me. God speaks to me through His Word as I'm reading His Word, and His Spirit will speak to my spirit. And then there are other times in times of prayer that God's Spirit will speak to my spirit. And then there are times that that there's someone else saying something. They are sharing a word. And and through that word, God's Spirit speaks to my spirit. And it was during a time like that, this week, that, that God spoke to me. Because to be honest with you, I thought that Beyond was all about accomplishing the vision that God had laid on our hearts to make a difference in our world. And understand the vision that we have is an important vision I mean if if we don't plant campuses and churches throughout the Midlands hundreds of thousands of people are going to die without Christ if we don't plant churches in the Northeast and other parts of the United States there are going to be many people that go into eternity who have never heard about Jesus And if we don't send missionaries to unreached, unengaged people groups, who's going to do it? But God spoke to me as I was sitting in my office and spoke clearly. And he said that beyond isn't even about that vision. Beyond is a faith-building journey for each and every one of us. I believe that God wants to build our faith. Because the Christian life is a journey in faith. We are to walk by faith. And I believe the truth of the matter is most of us aren't walking by faith. We're walking by sight. We love Jesus. We want to serve him. We want to do what we can. But the reality is we are walking by sight. We look at our our abilities, we look at our resources, we look at our opportunities, and then we determine what it is that God wants us to do. Instead of saying, God, what is it you want to do? Hearing from God and then step it out in faith. This is what I believe with all my heart. If we as a people of God will learn to walk by faith, not by sight, then we are going to see God do more than we have ever seen Him do before. Because I am convinced, for most of us, even though we love Jesus, we're giving Him our best rather than trusting Him to do through us. And that's faith. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, as we begin this this faith building journey this morning. Ephesians 3, 20 and, and 21. The NAS translation translates that verse this way Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That verse is saying that God can do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we ask or think. Did you get that? God can do. It's not we can do. It's God can do when we trust God when we walk by faith God can do things in us and through us that we never thought possible the message translations translates that verse this way God can do anything far more than you could imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams he does it not by pushing us around but by working within us his spirit deeply And gently within us God's Spirit working in us and through us will do more than we could ever dream even in our wildest dreams now don't miss that you see the problem is when it comes to the mission of God when it comes to the glory of God most of us who love Jesus dream too small We look at our lives, we look at our jobs, we look at our abilities, we look at our resources, we look at our bank accounts, and we think we could never be a part of something great. We could never be a part of something that that changes the world. But God says that's wrong. God says when His power is at work in us and through us, and our desire is for His glory, He can do anything. Far more than we could ever ask or imagine or request even in our wildest dreams. You see, the only thing limiting us is our dreams. What we believe God can do. A.B. Simpson said this. He said, our God has boundless resources. The only limit is in us. Our thinking, our asking Our praying is too small our our expectations are are too limited C.S. Lewis said it this way he said our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak we are too easily pleased D.L. Moody said with his dying words if your partner is God make sure your plans are large. You see, we think that the great men and women of the Bible were some supernatural people, superheroes, who had superhuman strength, but that's not the case. The great men and women of the Bible who who accomplished great things for God's glory were ordinary men, ordinary women, who trusted in a supernatural God to accomplish unbelievable things and they dream big dreams now let's make it clear what I'm talking about this morning I'm talking about dreaming big dreams for God's glory I'm not talking about dreaming about a nicer car or a bigger house or a nicer boat if you dream it hard enough and you dream it long enough then you'll get those things no that's not what I'm talking about What Paul is talking about right here is this, when you give your life, your hopes and your dreams are built around the wonderful, captivating, majestic, inescapable glory of God and proclaiming that glory to the world, then God will work in you and through you to accomplish those dreams. You see, when you come to the place in your life where it's no longer about you, it's no longer about your comfort it's no longer about your pleasure it's not it's no longer about your happiness but it's about God's glory and filling the world with his glory then God will do in you and through you far more than you could ever ask or imagine now the Bible is filled with stories that teach that truth that illustrate that truth But this morning, I want us to look at one found in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Now let me give you a little bit of background, if I may. It's around 586 B.C., and and Babylon is the world power. They are the super power. Nobody is going to be able to topple Babylon. They come into a place, and they conquer it, and they control it. And so they came into Judah. They knocked down the walls of the city, they tore down the temple, they burnt the city, and they took the people off into captivity. Everyone but the poorest of the poor were taken back to Babylon to serve the Babylonians. The reason they did this is because they wanted to assimilate the people that they conquered to the Babylonian way of life. They wanted to assimilate people to the Babylonian culture, to the Babylonian religion. So they would take them to Babylon so that they would be assimilated and become like the Babylonians. But around 60 years later, something happened. Something that no one saw coming. There was a man named Cyrus who took control of the Persian Empire. And he brought the Persian army into Babylon and they conquered the Babylonians and no longer were the Babylonians the world power now Persia was the world power and when Cyrus became the king and he conquered the Babylonians he did something he allowed many of the Jews to go back to Judah to rebuild the temple and so the people went back to Judah some of them and they started rebuilding the city. And so the world power shift from Babylon to Persia. Now and our story takes place about 80 years after this. And it centers around a man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Jew. Nehemiah was born in captivity. He was born in exile. And by God's providence, God put him into a unique position. He became the cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes. Now, a cupbearer to the king wasn't someone that just brought the cup of wine to the king. He wasn't simply someone who tasted the king's wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. No, the cupbearer to the king had a very important position. He was both a trusted advisor and the head of security. And so here was this Jew, this Hebrew who was now this trusted advisor to this pagan king, the head of security to this pagan king. One day, Nehemiah's brother and some other Jews came to visit Nehemiah. And when they did, Nehemiah said, So how are things in Judah? And his brother said, Things aren't good. The people are living in distress. They are living in fear. The walls of the city have been broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. As you can imagine, if there were no walls surrounding the city, the people could not um, care for themselves. They could not defend themselves. So everyone was living in fear. And this broke Nehemiah's heart. When he heard what was going on in Judah, when he heard how the city of God, Jerusalem, was in ruins his heart was broken, and he began to dream a dream. He dreamed a dream of going to Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls of the city. And I want you to know, hear me, this was an impossible dream. First of all, there was no way that Artaxerxes was going to let his trusted advisor leave for several years to do a project in a foreign land. He just wasn't going to do it. Second, Nehemiah didn't have the resources to rebuild the walls of a broken down city. And third, he had never rebuilt a city. That's not what he did. He was an advisor to the king. He was a head of security. He didn't know about rebuilding a city. But God planted this dream in Nehemiah's heart. And he couldn't get this dream off of his heart. And if we fast forward in the book of Nehemiah, we discover that through the power of God and by the grace of God, the dream that God laid on Nehemiah's heart was fulfilled in record time. Now, what I want to challenge you to do this morning as we begin beyond is this. I want to challenge you to begin to dream God-sized dreams Because I am afraid that we don't. Now, you may dream of one day being rich. You may dream of one day owning your own company. You may dream of one day retiring at the beach or at the lake or in the mountains. Those are you-centered dreams, aren't they? I want to challenge you to dream some God-sized dreams for God's glory and God's honor. And so how do we do that? How do we dream God-sized dreams, dreams that will bring glory and honor to the name of the Lord God? Well, first of all, if you want to dream a God-sized dream, it begins with a broken heart. Look at verse 4. When Nehemiah heard what had happened in Jerusalem, it says this, When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. The thing that precedes Nehemiah having his God-sized dream is a broken heart. And it's not just a broken heart, but a heart that was broken for the things that break the heart of God. God's people were in trouble. They were under threat. Their temple was in danger. Their city was in ruins. And this broke the heart of God because God is concerned about his people. And because it broke the heart of God, it broke the heart of Nehemiah. And it caused him, it moved him to action. Listen, as long as you are content with the way things are, you will never experience things the way things can be. Let me say that again. As long as you are content with the way things are, you will never experience life the way things can be. And I am afraid when it comes to the glory of God and the honor of God, many of us are content with the way things are. But if we want to accomplish anything significant and great for God's kingdom, it begins with a broken heart. Our heart has to be broken for those who are far from God, who have never heard the name of Jesus, and who are in danger of dying and spending eternity without Christ. Our hearts have to be broken for those who are in captivity and bondage to sin. Our hearts have to be broken for the children who are living next door to us, who have never even heard the name of Jesus. People who live in the Bible belt, who were never taken to church, who never hear about Jesus Our hearts have to be broken for families who are in disarray and are in ruins because they do not know what a godly family looks like. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you wept, you mourned, because your heart was broken for the things that break God's heart? When was the last time you looked at a map, and you realize that many people in the world are gonna die today. Many are gonna die today who have never even been told that Jesus loves them, that He wants to save them. When is the last time your heart has been broken and you've shed tears for the people that you go to school with that are in bondage to sin, that don't know the freedom? That comes through Christ when is the last time you looked at that person that works in the cubicle with you or that person that that works on the truck with you or that person that that works in that office with you that doesn't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus when's the last time your heart was broken for the things that break the heart of God Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. Someone said it this way. You can tell a lot about a man by what moves him to anger and what moves him to tears. Nehemiah mourned. He fasted. And he prayed. I'm here to tell you, when you really begin to see the world the way God sees the world... It's going to break your heart it's going to change your perception it's going to change everything else about you a God-sized dream begins with a broken heart but second a God-sized dream requires a leap of faith listen to what it says in chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 early the following spring in the month of Nisan during the the 20th year of King Artaxerxes reign I was serving the king as wine. I'd never before appeared in his presence or sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. It's been four months since Nehemiah has heard about the condition of Jerusalem for four months he has been fasting and praying